This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond. Welcome to our show. We are happy to have you here as we're in kind of the uh, the rest period, the dark period of the NASL calendar between the spring and fall seasons. Um, but there is so much to cover. We got a lot to get to, so let's dive right into it. Omar Mubayed, uh, we got a two-man operation tonight. Uh, how you doing, pal? Housman, party of two. Housman, party of one. Housman, Housman. <laughs> So Drew is out uh, partying with the uh, Barcelona squad that are in town um, <laughs> for El Clasico. Um, we'll talk more about that, obviously, a little bit later in the show. But we, we got some some interesting stuff of, of local flavor uh, to talk about. Uh, and so we're going to start NASL. Uh, like we said, we're in between the spring and fall season, and that means it's the perfect time for transactions. The, 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 the thing that everyone pays so much attention to, towards that really doesn't actually affect you directly right away. <laughs> yeah, because... As Miami FC learned last season that sometimes they take a little while to affect you. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Miami's made a move, and this time last year we were talking just about every week how about Miami acquired or released another player. So it's a little crazy to see Miami kind of staying packed, but, you know, you want a spring title. You don't really need to make a lot of changes. Uh, notable additions to the NASL. You have McKendry coming in, uh, you know, spent a lot of time with the Whitecaps too, and the Whitecaps... Um, you know, between USL and MLS, Ben McKendry coming to Edmonton, hoping to sure up that midfield for what was a struggling FC Edmonton side. Uh, another note, Juan Arango comes back to the Cosmos. If the name sounds familiar, well, here's why. He was the NASL Golden Boot winner last year. Scored, if I'm not mistaken, 15 goals and then a couple additional assists to add to his tally on that side. And, you know, he was pretty much the most dynamic striker in the NASL last year. Mind you, Juan Arango is 37 years of age. So, hey, all right, let's see if he can get any playing time because Amari sure couldn't over there at Cosmos. Um, Puerto Rico Science Martinez Rubio, a Puerto Rican national who will now be playing with Puerto Rico FC, uh, spent some time in La Liga, notably, and in non-NASL news. Big news, if you haven't heard of this yet, you probably don't live in Florida, but Dom Dwyer. And you definitely don't have Twitter. Yeah, you definitely don't have Twitter. (laughs) Dom Dwyer returns home? air quotations to Orlando City <laughs> Soccer Club. Uh, the reason home is he played his college soccer at USF and uh, was on a loan spell initially to Orlando City. So good for him. Uh, good for him to come to Florida. It seems like the Orlando Pride are going to be essentially a uh, U.S. women's national team bunch because I, I won't be surprised if Sydney LaRue signs a contract with Orlando Pride yeah. joining Alex Morgan, Ali Krieger, and Harris, the goalkeeper. Jesus, man, that team is stacked. Yeah, it really is. That's going to be, and not to mention Marta. Oh, Jesus! Yeah, right. Like, okay, we didn't even talk about who was, at one point was the best women's player of all time. Like, get out of yeah. here! Ridiculous. Yeah, the, the basically half the U.S. women's national team plus Marta. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, definitely a super squad. Um, yeah, so you know, you you see this movement within the NASL, or at least in the case of McKendry, into the NASL, and it's an interesting development. 
to go along with the fact that there's actually stable ownership now in Jacksonville, there's a local owner who's taken over the, the team from the league, and it leads you to believe that maybe, possibly, hopefully, probably, knock on wood, don't jinx it, the league is kind of stabilizing a little bit. Um, that you actually have a league that's functioning the way it's supposed to instead of, like, taking ownership of clubs and whatnot. Um, Juan Arango coming back, um, I think, is good for the Cosmos. Again, he's not the the youngest guy in the the locker room, but um, Golden Boot winner uh, for a team that was pretty damn dominant. Um, You'd like to see that addition. Um, and yeah, I think the last couple of weeks, again, I don't want to jinx it, but I think the last couple of weeks have been good weeks for the NASL. Uh, you know, obviously, selfishly, I think they're good weeks because Miami FC won the spring season title. <laughs> but um, but I think in an overall position, I think the NASL is in, is in a stronger place than it was, say, a year ago or especially six months ago. And I think you also see people who are maybe of the USL persuasion looking at the league and saying we should have finished them off when we had the chance. Yeah, right. And basically that there was th- th- that this league was teetering on the edge and now it's starting to get a little bit of momentum back and it's if if there are any desires within the US Soccer Federation or especially within USL to kind of drive the stake into the heart of the NASL it, it's it's gotten a lot harder. Yeah, it's it's gotten almost incredibly difficult. Uh, with regards to trying to kill off this NASL team, because as you just mentioned, Jacksonville picks up an ownership group no longer league owned, and you know, like we were talking with some of the Cosmos podcast people the other day, and who would have thunk it? San Francisco Delta is an expansion team, and uh, Jacksonville, a team that's league owned, finishing second and fourth respectively in the table. Like starting the year, we never thought that these teams would would be someone to fear per se, given. You know, one's an expansion and one doesn't really have a lot of money flowing around, but both teams are viable and both teams are really good. And don't be surprised if, you know, they take a run at the fall title or end up with a combined points playoff seating. Uh, yeah, so it's – it's the NASL is nothing if not surprising, and I think it's perfectly fitting uh, with, with what we've seen here. The, the only thing that's a little bit odd is that the Cosmos aren't – Really, any? I mean, they're they're near the top. Certainly, they're within striking distance of the of the combined near the top of the combined table, and will have as good a shot as any in the fall season. But normally, it's the Cosmos setting the pace, and everyone else chasing behind. And so now that that really isn't so much the narrative. Now that Miami FC have basically taken that that job, uh, it's a bit different. But it's it's I think an overall good thing for the league. Um, and then the Dwyer moved to Orlando City. I think that's. That's just good, good old fashioned fun. I think Orlando's <laughs> awfully happy with it. They're showing up to the the airport like they're uh, Fenerbahce <laughs> fans or Galatasaray, just swarming the airport for the new signing. Um, it was exciting. It was fun to see that on uh, on Twitter throughout social media. And again, you know, Miami Orlando, there's this kind of rivalry, but it, you know. No, it's good for them at the end of the day, you know, for for yes. being able to to market that event. Because realistically speaking, Dom Dwyer, you know, if you think about MLS and you think about Dom Dwyer, it almost feels like he's been around forever. Much like, you know, how long um, JJ Redick was at Duke for. Like JJ Redick was at Duke for four years, but it felt like seven. You know, and Dom yeah. Dwyer is only twenty five years old, but I feel like he's been in the MLS at least ten years and. You know, that's not the case. He's that notable staple. You know who Dom Dwyer is because he is 
you know, one of the premier MLS strikers, um, and now coming to Florida and Orlando City, namely, um, you know, it, it benefits their team, it betters their team. Some rumors have it that Kyle Lahren is on his way out, uh, being pursued, I think it was by uh, Besiktas. Um, uh, so we'll see, you know. It, it, Lahren and Dwyer together would be an interesting combo for that team, uh, but we'll let the mainland handle Orlando City breakdowns. Yes, and it's good to see a, a you know a, a small local club that can't really hang with Miami FC on the field try yeah, to strengthen for them. their position and you know hats off to them. There's always next year um, and, and possibly the Florida Cup, but we mentioned San Francisco Deltas opposite of Jacksonville, Jacksonville with new ownership and San Francisco Deltas. Their CEO has put out a very lengthy, lengthy um, I don't even know what you would call it press release article statement. Uh, talking about their manifesto, manifesto right? <laughs> talking about their, you know, low attendance figures for the spring campaign. And, you know, for those of you who aren't aware, the Deltas averaged roughly 2,500 people per game in any market that's unsustainable. So, yeah. you know, giving you a quick brief summary of what uh, CEO, what, I'm trying to remember his last name, Helmick, CEO Helmick, uh, discusses, he's basically saying that their retention rate is horrendous. They don't have the retention rate. People are coming to one game and they're not coming back. Um, you know, their biggest attended game was their home opener, and after that, they've just been having difficulties. There's been times where they haven't broken two thousand people in the stadium, you know, per game, and and this is something that, as you can imagine, NASL, you know, brass and and owners run the league of the NASL are looking at these attendance figures and they're thinking well, wait a second, what the hell's going on here? Because you guys said you were going to be viable. You guys said that you were going to have, you know, uh, a very, um, you know, virtual media, social media friendly campaign and this and that. And yet you can't even get 2,000 people to come to one of your games. So, you know, it's difficult. Again, San Francisco probably wasn't going to be one of the premier hotbeds of soccer because you have so much competition in the area. You got Sacramento, just a two-hour drive away with a, a USL team that's selling out every game. You've got the San Jose Earthquakes, a 30-minute drive down US 101. So a lot of these things aren't going well for San Francisco right now. And Matt, what do you think they lack? I, I have an idea that I think I know what they're missing. But when you take a look at San Francisco's attendance problems and how to fix them, what what do you think is just the number one solution here? I mean, it's it's a tough call. Um, I, I think that they have made it abundantly clear that one of the things that they greatly value and that they're going to be leaning on is that tickets tickets out equals tickets sold. That every single ticket that it is is procured by someone to go to a game is gotten via sales. They their reported attendance numbers are at probably the truest attendance numbers in American professional sports. They they do not inflate in any way. They're telling you the turnstile number of people in house, and uh, that was mentioned in the post. And I, I think that's very admirable. I do. It's it, but go ahead. Go, go, no, you no, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so what I was going to say is it's admirable, but at the same time, when you're in year one, you've. You, I understand this post if they're in year four and they had had good numbers and ended fallen off. And I understand the purpose of the post now because the owner is being very candid and, and forthright with fans and with the community. But if you're not getting people in, 
in your first half season, that's on you. Now, can you expect to make money off the people coming in for those t- tickets? Maybe not. And maybe that it, there is something to be said that you need to reach out to the community and get tickets in people's hands. Because if someone has a ticket to something, it's going to be a lot harder for them to say, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to leave that ticket sitting there. You've got to figure out a way to better reach out to the community and get people tickets in hand to come. And I mean, I've been I've been to Keysar Stadium. It's um, it's an older stadium. It was actually the first home of the San Francisco 49ers in the 40s and 50s. It is in Golden Gate Park. It is gorgeous. It is not modern. It is not um, it's not fancy. It doesn't have really any bells or whistles. They're trying to add a little bit here and there, but it doesn't have that. But it has character exploding out of it. It's gorgeous. And it's easily accessible to a very large community around. People come to that stadium during the week to, to run the track and, 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 and you know, work out on the field and whatnot. Like, it's, it's accessible. This is not a, we got to drive 45 minutes outside of town to get to the stadium. It is in San Francisco. It's in Golden Gate Park. They ought to be able to get people there. Now, are they, are they all, should they be able to get people there and make a whole buttload of money off the tickets? Maybe not yet, but they ought to be able to get people there. Well, here's the biggest issue, uh, and I think there's two key things that San Francisco Deltas are lacking. And again, this is information that, that, that I've been told and I've read. None of it is something you know that I'm sitting here and saying, like, oh, this is on the record or anything like that. However, A, they're lacking a competent ticketing department. And B, they're lacking a competent marketing department. And I'm going to go out and say it like that. They're lacking competence in both of those industries because how is it possible if you play at Golden Gate Park, you are literally maybe a, what, I would say maybe a two-mile walk, maybe a 15-minute ride with traffic from the city center of San Francisco, and you can't get more than 2,000 people to come to your stadium. I have friends that live, you know, in Mountain View, which is just a, you know, basically a rock's throw uh, from San Francisco and, and, and you know, a longer rock throw uh, from San Jose, and they've never heard of the team. They've, they've never once heard the team, and these are people that take public transportation. They take, you know, Ubers. They take lifts, and there is no word of mouth going around this team. There is no public, ad, you know, trans, I'm sorry, there's no advertising on public transportation, such as the bar, such as the Mooney. So what's going on? I, I don't understand. One of the first things that Miami FC did here in, in the city of Miami was – they put out the billboards. They took over the Metrorail cars, right? They put some bus yeah. advertisements on the sign. So at least the logo was being featured around the city. You would see it. You would look up and be like, wait, I don't necessarily know what that is, but hang on. You're going to learn more about it as time got, you know, as time carried on. And yet here we are in San Francisco, and that's not happening. And, and a lot of it, you know, makes me wonder if, you know, very Silicon Valley. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do everything electronically. I'm going to do everything off the buzz of social media. And the spring season has proven that if that is if that is indeed their plan, it hasn't worked. And you have to go back to some of the older strategies of word of mouth. Look, you might need to comp some tickets. And I understand a lot of people are like, oh, you don't want to comp tickets because you're just, you know, getting one-time people to come in. But, like, look, you're telling me right now with people buying tickets, your retention rate is horrendous. So at some point, if you're going to give out, let's say, an extra 250, 500 tickets a game, at least now you have the possibility of generating revenue, you know, on concessions, on merchandise, 
more so than you know not having that ability with 500 less people at the stadium and and it goes to show that you know at least this way you can kind of offset that ticket cost and, and another big thing is you're charging $20 a game that's like your cheapest ticket is $20 a game and I understand California and, and cost of living is more expensive and the salary is a little bit higher listen I totally get it right but the San Jose Earthquakes their cheapest ticket is $20 a game you're going to tell me that you're going to try to charge just as much as an MLS team and an MLS team that's been in that community for pff, what now 12, 15 years come on yeah, that's well a well-established team yeah you're, that's a losing battle every time every time yeah I just it's the thing that kind of kills me is, like, the stadium is – forget about – I mean, the point you're making about it being so close to Mountain View and everything else is is, is absolutely correct. But forget about even that. The, the neighborhoods within even a 10-minute drive, a, you know, 20, 30-minute walk, you know, you've got the Mission District, you've got the Castro, you've got Presidio, you've got – um. Uh, the Sunset District, you've got everything along the park. Haight-Ashbury, which is one of the most visited intersections in America, yep. is literally a two-minute walk. I've walked it before. I've literally walked from from that intersection. You know, there's so much – there's so – I mean, San Francisco is kind of infamous for its concentration of population in the city. It's having – it has so many people in inside the city itself that there's a bit of a problem you ought to be able to attract some people from that local neighborhood. And, and, and the, it, again, go, looking at that post, I appreciate the candor. I really do. I think it's very helpful for owners to be upfront and candid about what they're thinking and being straightforward with the fan base. But if you're telling me that your, you know, your retention rate of people coming back is so low, at some point, that's not on the fans to go find someone and bring them to a game and then have them find someone and bring them to a game. Every fan, every team in America that wants to fix attendance says that to every f- supporter or fan of any sport. Yeah, just go find a friend and bring them, and then we double attendance. Well, that's not how it works. That's not. It's it's on the fans to kind of get the word out a bit. But And we had this conversation last year, and I can't tell you how much the tenor and the tone around Miami FC has changed in one year's time because they marketed and they reached out and they went into the community and now when you talk about the team people know people are familiar with it when you we you know, we're, we'll talk about PSG and Juventus in a little bit the game we went to um last night uh we're recording on Thursday <laughs> you saw people with Miami FC yes scarves shirts Hats. you saw Miami FC uh magnets you know you saw it it's it's it, you know it's like you're steeping tea like the tea is being released out into the, the community and people it's it's there it's not you know it's not the marlins it's not the dolphins it's not the heat but it's there it's a presence and until you are presence you're giving your fans the job of trying to explain exactly what this is and if you're leaving that job in the hands of amateurs not professionals you're probably not succeeding and every team is not going to turn a profit right away. There, there is very few teams that, in their first year, let's say one through three of existence, turn a profit. If they do, 
fantastic, miraculous, but most of the time they don't even turn a profit on their actual accounting books because they're trying to fudge numbers to save money on right. property taxes, etc. So let's not sit here and say that, listen, you know, we're trying to run a for-profit business because look, sports teams, look, they're not for-profit businesses. They don't make profits. And if they do, they're hidden somewhere. So let's not go ahead and act like, you know, we need to turn money around quickly to save this team. But, you know, hopefully they can get their attendance stuff sorted out. Uh, sooner rather than later and and you know what hopefully this article works for them because this way they can at least uh you know generate some kind of revenue for the team if you want to see the article that we're referencing go to medium.com slash sf deltas on there you will definitely find it's probably one of the most uh link liked links or one of the top hits right now through that website um leaving san francisco a little bit and now let's focusing more on miami um the big story in the news this week was the four billies four billion dollars that ricardo With silva the b right the capital b um that ricardo silva offered mls for contractual rights in the future for a 10-year term beginning in 2023 with one one significant giant caveat matt what's one that little tiny what, what one itty bitty teeny little, right? weeny caveat minuscule what was it pro rel oh. hashtag pro rel oh jesus christ here we go <laughs> Ricardo Silva just made a thousand enormous fans on Twitter. Um, just he, he has no idea the the army he could raise now of just Ted Westervelts and the assorted other uh, you know pro rel army. Oh man, when that story dropped the other day, I couldn't believe it. I I was I, I thought someone you know again I've said it on here before. I'm not opposed to pro rel by any means, but. There's a there's a bit of a, a cult of pro rel on Twitter and other assorted social media, and I really don't want to rile those people up. Right. But dial it down a little bit. So when I saw that story, I thought it was some sort of concoction, basically <laughs> uh, from from that from the sea of pro rel. Uh, and then you go to Sports Business Journal, um, did a, a brilliant write up of it, um, and, and really described and detailed exactly what the plan was. You know. I, um, uh, our friend Abel actually posted on Twitter a, a month ago uh, a picture of Ricardo Silva at MLS headquarters that he had shared, I believe, on Instagram. And he had stated, oh, I wonder what Ricardo Silva is doing at MLS headquarters. Now we know. This is what that meeting was. And when when you're talking about a media rights deal in the billions, normally you're talking about the quote-unquote big four. You know, you're not talking about Major League Soccer. And... This was a very intriguing deal. This is the only way that ProRel is ever going to happen. This is it. And, you know, more reporting has come out about that story and basically saying that Ricardo Silva knows that the deal wasn't going to be taken now and, and that it was an opening salvo. And it's, in a, it's a serious opening salvo. And the, the owners of the MLS are never and people need to get this through their heads, they are never just going to up and say, okay, open leagues. They're never going to say, okay, promotion, relegation, fine, good, great. They're not going to do it because some of them have paid upwards of $150 million to get into the MLS. They're not going to let other teams get in for free. And so the way this is going to work is that someone is going to have to cover their quote-unquote losses, meaning the possibility that they drop down to second division at some point in the future, they're going to have to cover it up with franchise fees plus. Franchise fees plus. 
basically ensuring their losses because sports in America is socialism. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, it's um, the quote from Art Modell, the Browns owner, later Ravens owner, basically saying that the NFL is a group of 30 uh, rich Republican owners who get in a room and act like a bunch of communists. And that's what <laughs> sports is in America, that it is, it is designed to cover everyone. Right. That you, you socialize the losses, you, you suck off the profits and the success, and everyone gets by and makes a little money. And if that's your model of ownership, so be it. Whatever. Your choice, it's your, your market, fine. But this is the one way that you could potentially twist some owner's arms and say, hey, there's money to be made here, real cash, not run the team well and make some profits Bingo. and grind it out. But no, just a big, here's a rich Uncle Pennybags scroll, you know, <laughs> strolling in with a bag with a dollar sign written on the side of it. This is what it is. Ricardo Silva is walking in to MLS headquarters, walking into the meeting with Don Garber with two big bags full of cash. And $4 billion is not going to do it. But I think there could eventually be a number that would convince them, especially with an, and Omar, this may have been you that brought it up on Twitter. The the pressure that, and I'll, I'll shut up in like 10 seconds. No, you're fine. The pressure that FIFA is going to want to apply on the United States Soccer Federation to get that World Cup bid in 2026, if they are interested in the United States having a soccer league similar to what the rest of the world has, this is a potential point of weakness, and this is an opportunity for MLS owners to have their cake and eat it too, that they're going to eventually have to cave to this, and hey, guess what? Here's a guy who's going to give you a nice little consolation prize while we institute ProRail. No, and listen, you hit the nail on the head, and I think a lot of people are quick to say, $4 billion, how can MLS say no? Look, even before we talk about ProRail, or anything like that, the first thing you have to consider is that all of the current broadcasting partners have exclusive, uh, I think they have the right of first refusal, essentially, as to whether or not they want to come back, and the negotiating window uh, for each, in this case, vendor, ESPN, uh, Univision, and Fox, they all have a share in the MLS broadcasting rights, and in the way they have the first uh, crack at the bit. Uh, to MLS once those rights come up in, I think, the Windows 21 or 22, 2021, 2022. So we're a long ways away from that, right? Secondly, you got to remember something, right? So a lot of people get upset at Roger Goodell of the NFL, and he's the NFL commissioner, for those of you that don't follow American football. But a lot of people get mad at some of the decisions he makes. A lot of people were outraged at the thought of how can Don Garber say no to $4 billion to a league that is playing paying players not even six-figure salaries at times. So these are guys going out there making maybe $75,000, etc. You know, and they're professional athletes. So you got to keep in mind that Don Garber's number one job is to protect the interest of the owners. That is it. That is it. Signed, sealed, delivered. He doesn't have to worry about anything else but the 22 owners and, you know, more down the pipeline uh, that have bought into the league. That's it. That's his job. If even one, two owners come and say, listen, Don, we have a problem with this because, you know, we don't have the cash to be competitive and, you know, we are fearing for, you know, our investments, blah, blah, whatever. His job is to say, listen, Mr. Silva, thank you so much, but this isn't going to work. And that's it. And you can't be mad at him. You cannot be mad at the owners because they paid these extraordinary fees to enter this league and they entered the league with the thought process of this is a closed league to turn around now and 
you know, flip the script on them, you know, some of them one, two, even possibly three years in and say, oh, by the way, now we're in open league. And uh, listen, guys, if you can't figure it out with your technical directors and your coach, you'll be in USL or NASL next season. Good luck. That's not going to work. It, yeah. it isn't going to work. I, with regards to what you're saying and will MLS ever become pro-rel, I think the number one thing that this offer really does is it, it forces the narrative now it, it puts the question in the heads of the casual soccer fan that watches european leagues and lives in the states and follows mls and they're like wait a second we're looking around everywhere else in the world and we've got promotion relegation and we're looking here and and there isn't any why what's i don't understand what does mls have to lose here Again, the casual soccer fan isn't aware of the fact that you've got $150 million, you know, on the line with each one of these clubs and then some, right? But you look at $4 billion and that's a number that sticks out on their head and they're going to say, wait a second, what's going on? Like, I, it, This doesn't make sense. If somebody's offering me $4 billion and the only thing I have to do is possibly allow more teams to enter the league and some teams to leave, this sounds like a good deal. I, I think I'm a little more bullish on the theory that I think Within the next 10 years, we will see promotion relegation because at some point, the American soccer fans have been told, oh, pro rel is 20 years away or 30 years away. And, and then at that point, they've gotten to that 20, 30 years. And then, oh, it's another 20 or 30, right? So I think we're at the point now in the next 10 years, we're going to see it. And I think there's going to be two ways that it happens. One, the United States is going to follow a system much like the Dutch system in the sense that the Dutch second division has teams that cannot be promoted to the first division. They can't be promoted to the first division. Why? Because they don't have the license. They don't. Have, they did not buy into that league, pay a certain fee to make sure that they can enter if they were to be promoted. Right. You know. And then in the second division of the Dutch league, you have a lot of reserve teams from you know PSV, Ajax, etc. Now. You can have that kind of system and it works. Or the second way it's going to happen is if somehow NASL and NISA, Peter Wilt's upcoming system, um, kind of find a way to compete with MLS and USL. And I think that might even be the more bolder approach because that's got so many more uncertainties. I, I think the biggest problem with MLS and, and what they've done here is that they've designed the, the pyramid along with Sunil Galati, along with CONCACAF they've all been allowed to design a pyramid where you want a team you need a stadium this stadium needs to have these these requirements where the hell else in the world do you have these kind of mandates for a team it, they don't fucking exist they don't exist yeah no it doesn't exist why because you know you're looking at teams yes in the Premier League you know most of these teams have big budget you know owners and they've got stadiums that sit you know upwards of 30,000 but you've got teams in League One, and you've got teams in the Championship that their stadium probably holds fifteen thousand max. You know they're not big grounds; they're not the best training facilities in the world. But their cohesive unit is so good that they are getting promoted consistently. And I think that's what needs to happen at some point here in the states, or you will then see kind of a, the law of diminishing returns happen with soccer. At some point, you're going to hit a cap with the fan base of soccer in the United States. Where it's it, enough's enough. Like if you're not going to give me a better product, we're going to just stop. We're going to just you know recede in watching. And I think that better product is going to be having the best teams playing the best league. You can't have a team like Miami FC that is in no shape second tier with regards to the way that the club is built, the way that the roster structure, with the way that they spend the money. 
in the second division consistently, steamrolling second division opponents, and then my and then MLS allowing DC United to go out there and and you know get 15 points a season. It's, 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 at some point, it's not going to work. The the trouble for the the trouble for what you are saying in terms of like the soccer fan won't accept it. Actually, I want I I do want to address the, there are stadium requirements to go into top flight leagues. Like you know, if you uh, the Premier League bans uh, uh, standing seating unless it's safe standing. Until very recently, which they they had banned it in t- standing entirely since the Taylor report in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So if you had standing in your stadium, you had to convert it to seats. But but you know, it's not like you had to build a new stadium. Right. You had to <laughs> make sure that these certain requirements were met. And I, I don't think there's anyone that's opposed to that. I think it's people who think it's ridiculous that you know, for example, Miami Beckham United has to build a brand new stadium that's soccer specific. When you know, as we could attest to from last night, there's a a very beautiful top of the line soccer stadium already in Miami Dade County, and there's also Ricardo Silva Stadium, which ain't half bad. It does a pretty darn good job. Uh, so that that's the first thing that that it's fine to have stadium requirements, but to require new teams to build new stadiums is absurd. Uh, now the the second thing worth mentioning is you said the soccer fan won't tolerate it. Here's where I think there's uh, the the pro world argument has. A, a bit of a there's a bit of a problem and it's the soccer fan versus the american sports fan and those are two very different mindsets now are there american sports fans who are soccer fans yes but I, i'm talking specifically people who are and i don't i don't want to use the term soccer snob because i would put myself in this category too <laughs> i don't think i'm a snob but someone who is very well educated about the sport and, and kind of the business of the sport. Again, don't don't ask me to go and and, and you know configure a team and give you the. I, I don't know if I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be great at that, but I have an idea of how the business works and I have an idea of how you know the general structure of the sport in this country right. and in other countries. But there are plenty of people who who are soccer fans uh, who who identify as soccer fans who are just fans of their team. That they live in Atlanta and they've got this new team and they're super happy to go out to Bobby Dodd and watch the team play and then they're going to be going to the new Georgia Dome and they're going to go watch them there too. Right. But they're they're not they don't know the ins and outs they 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 can't name the president of FIFA they can't name you know they don't know the name Sunil Gulati mm-hmm. they're they're not familiar with that. No, true, I understand. So and so my my thing is when everyone's like yeah the um, the soccer fan won't take it the soccer fan is fed up. I think that pro rel. While it's it's again the way things are done in pretty much every other country in the world, and it's very reasonable, it is foreign to the American soccer fan. Oh, absolutely. the The closest thing to it is baseball's minor league system, mm-hmm. but there's no promotion relegation. Actually, what soccer has now is virtually identical to that, except without club affiliation, and and you're starting to get club affiliation with the your under twenty threes and your B teams and in, in, in USL. Um, yeah. But I don't know if there will be enough pressure of enough people to ask for this thing that I don't even know if they know what it is. Okay. That's always been my hang-up with ProRel is there is a very small – and again, I, I just made fun of them a couple minutes ago. But I would kind of consider myself in that group too. I would love to see ProRel. I'm not, I'm not online evangelizing about it, but <laughs> I'd be perfectly happy if it, if it came to pass. But I think they and I and you and probably most of the people listening to this podcast – 
are in a significant minority. You know, again, if we sat everyone in America down and, you know, bought a two-hour infomercial and explained how ProRail would work, maybe minds would change if people get – but I don't think enough people know enough about it to care because I don't think they know anything about it. Okay. Yeah, it's absolutely true, and, and I can see the way you've connected the dots to that argument. And, and listen, man, congratulations because that is a, a well-formed argument. No doubt about it. Like zero doubts about it in my mind. I I really can't even – I don't have a rebuttal against it. I think the one thing that I want to clarify and the one question that I'm going to pose to you and then maybe we can go on and and let's move on to the MLS Miami problem stadium. Um, Yes. Stadium problem I should say. With the law of diminishing returns in terms of economics is that you can offer somebody a product for so long before at some point that product is no longer deemed – you know, as good or as quality or people's interests tend to change. You're absolutely right. Major League Baseball is the closest thing that we have to promotion relegation. And guess what? It doesn't exist, right? Uh, basketball, American sports across the board don't have promotion relegation. This is a very European, you know, South American, you know, Asian concept. All of these other continents have bought in. Somehow North America has shielded its teams Oh, actually, with the exception, just let's say United States of America has shielded its teams and its owners from doing that. And it's what you said earlier. You put 30 Republicans in a room and all of a sudden they're socialists when it comes to their money and, and you know, collectively bargaining, you know, the profits and, and the player amounts and things like that. You're absolutely right. But I think here's the bigger kicker, right? For example, we just I just mentioned to you that, you know, at some point there's going to be stadium problems. Burden Albion. Burton Albion is currently in the second division of the English flight. They play in the championship. Their stadium, their capacity has 2,000 seats. Let's say Burton Albion were all of a sudden to pull a Leicester this season and find a way into the Premier League. And their stadium, Pirelli Stadium, has 2,000 seats. You're telling me that the Premier League would say, sorry, you can't get promoted? Well, no, I think what happens, because this, this situation has happened before, where... Basically, you know, going into the Premier League, you get a a chunk of money. And not only do you get a chunk of money, you get a guarantee on money for two to three years hence, afterwards. So I think that Burton Albion would have to put forward a plan to basically come up to those Premier League standards and, and satisfy it. And they would do so because if they didn't, they wouldn't get this large, again, the, the rich uncle penny bag sack of money. Uh, pro rel it's it can't just be you're up you're down it's that there has to be a kind of standard at each level because it's bad optics and, and again we, we love you know the the magic of the cup and all this stuff going to lower division teams and playing in those smaller venues but it's bad optics for the MLS to regularly go into a stadium that seats 1500 or 2000 people. But isn't it bad optics? Isn't it I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but isn't it bad optics no, okay. though when you see the New England Revolution at a stadium that holds 60,000 people with 8000 people in attendance? Oh, I agree. No, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that's why Don Garber has been so kind of militant about the stadium requirements in general. Uh, I think that has led him to swing a little bit in the opposite direction, that basically at the start of the MLS, it was find a stadium, get in there, and just hold on for dear life. (laughs) Yeah, that's terrible. MLS should never have been in the Orange Bowl. It was way too big. Way too big. MLS should never have been in Gillette Stadium. I don't care if Robert Kraft is the owner. It's way too big. It looks pathetic. Uh, You know, the only team that has been reasonably able to pull it off is Seattle. I give you Orlando Um, as well. 
or Orlando right. did a hell of a job in the Citrus Bowl as well. But but that's basically it. And you know, you think about P- Portland has you know a very strong fan base, and and they have a reasonably sized stadium, and you probably wouldn't want them to go any bigger. So it's. I, I guess what I'm saying there in terms of like stadium requirements mm-hmm. is there needs to be a reasonable range. And Pro Rel that can happen with Pro Rel and I think the Premier League does an okay job with that that you know there has to be a reasonable expectation that you know if Liverpool or Manchester United or whoever are traveling they're going to want a, a, you know a thousand seats of visitors if you only have 2000 seats in your stadium that's not going to work out well here's some cash build this thing up here's here's some some money with with which you can make that investment okay now there is of course the argument that you know getting into the premier league or, or rising in leagues requires you to take all that money and sink it into stadium developments that means you can't put it out on the field and then you sink down to a lower league because right. you can't keep up with it the, and then you don't have the payments any and then it kind of leads to you know you look at a, a portsmouth or other teams that have gone into Bingo. administration that's a danger and that is a hazard but there's always going to be a hazard except if you have the current setup the mls has which is basically you know seal up the bubble Everyone stays inside. ESPN and Fox need some programming in the summer to put on and, and make some sort of advertising revenue. We're going to ride that out. But again, fans don't want to hear this talk of the business. They want they want the product on the field to be as good as possible. They want to be able to go and get a beer at a reasonable price. They want to be able to go and chant and cheer and do all that. But there are, these are questions that need to be asked. And not only are we asking it, not only is... Ricardo Silva asking it. Not only is Don Car- Garber considering it, there is pressure that will be coming from the international football community, especially with 2026 coming. And these are questions that need to, they need answers. And, and honestly, they need answers publicly because we're left too often just fumbling in the dark trying to figure out what the hell's going on, how the hell the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation is going to support its second and third division team, you know, uh, leagues. You know, we have two second division leagues and no third division league. What the hell is that? There are just too many times where we look around at the problems. We just the only thing we can say is what the hell's going on, and it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable. It's not fair to again that small division of people who really care about how soccer is run in this country and. There need to be answers. And Don Garber, like you said, answers to the owners of Major League Soccer. He doesn't answer to anyone else. Yep. But th- the pressure is going to come, and it's going to come from the top down. It's going to come from FIFA. It's going to come from CONCACAF. It's going to come from the top down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, quick yes or no, because we spent way too much time on the subject. Um, <laughs> do you? A lot of people online are saying, well, if Ricardo Silva seems willing to spend $4 billion on MLS broadcast rights, should he invest that into the NASL? Yes or no? Should he spend four billion dollars on the NASL? Oh no, I think that's way too. Hell no! Uh, it's way too, way too reductive of an argument. You know, it's it's that thing of like, why don't we pay all teachers the money that we pay quarterbacks and whatever? It's like, no, it's a different business. Bingo. And like again, we're both teachers, and <laughs> I would love if someone paid me even a backup quarterback salary. I'd love it, but come on, yeah. like don't. Don't, you're just being pedantic. That's the only way to describe it. The people who say that, you're just being pedantic. It's not Ricardo Silva offering that deal. It's MP and Silva. They're trying to buy media rights that they would resell to other places. The $4 billion is not actually going to be $4 billion 
out of a pocket that's just going to be, for, for lack of a better word, set on fire. It's an investment. And so, yes, if you invested in an ASO, could you, it's much more complicated than that. And, and people who say that, sorry, people who <laughs> say that are just being reductive. That's it. I'm done. Oh, man, we spent way too much long uh, on this topic. So we're going to quickly go ahead and segue over to, um, you know, Bruce Matheson, heir of the Matheson family, who essentially owns Crandon Park, Matheson, Ham- Matheson Hammocks Park, and a lot of other properties in the Miami-Dade community, now suing Miami-Dade County for the unauthorized and partially illegal sale of the 2.8 acre site on 7th Street to Miami Beckham United for $9 million because technically Miami-Dade County has to have a competitive bidding uh, in order to sell that site. Um, So part of me wonders, is this just old man cranky pants who already ruined the Miami Open, I'm sorry, the tennis Miami Open uh, by not allowing Crandon Park to expand their facilities uh, or is this a actual, you know, legitimate concern by him? Talk about pedantic. <laughs> I, I really, I have had enough, and I'm, I'm gonna again. I've not been, uh, I've not been using an economy of words in this podcast. I feel like I've been talking for a good bit, but I have a larger point that I want to get to. I am tired of the quote unquote, you know, wealthy. Uh, you know, the wealthy gentry of this city swooping in and trying to be its savior on certain instances. Between Bruce Matheson and Norman Brayman, these two guys who who have their own interests and their own, you know, desires at heart, they're not benevolent, you know, people just dropping in and dropping their own tons of money. And, and, and they're, they're philanthropic, I know, but... I'm tired of being told that Norman Brayman's the savior of, of Miami from bad deals or Br- Bruce Matheson is the savior. They have their own interests. Bruce Matheson wants Key Biscayne to remain exactly as it's been for the last 50 years, period, end of story. Norman Brayman wants, you know, certain developments in certain ways. He doesn't want certain developments in other ways, and it's it's enough. And And the reason why these guys have been able to rise to the positions they're in is because so many people in Miami – City of Miami and Miami-Dade County government have failed so spectacularly in so many different ways that basically we look to the, the quote-unquote Bruce Waynes of Miami-Dade County to save us like <laughs> Batman. It's exhausting, and it's it, it, it doesn't take that long to realize that, oh, this wealthy guy probably just wants to preserve this land near his house or his boat dock or whatever. It's, it's, it's pretty transparent. And I'm all for... We've been here for two years now, not not just the MLS, but specifically looking at this plot of land. We've been looking at it for two years. We've all known what's on the table. We all know what's, what's, what's been trying to happen. And now he's going to come out and say this, and now he's going to come out and launch this? Get out of here. It's a joke. It's a joke. And he, he's going to pay the same amount of money and make the same development? No, you're not. You can't. You can't, you don't have an agreement with MLS. The, the, the terms of the agreement is to build a soccer stadium. Why would you build a soccer stadium if you don't have an agreement with MLS? It's, it's a farce. It's a farce designed to muck this, this plan up even farther. It's a joke. This is the, the, budding pu- the, the button-pushing episode of Matthew Bunch at Magic City Soccer. I am just sitting here and just firing away, just pressing buttons, and he's giving me the responses that I want. I'm fired up, man. This is fantastic. Look, um, 
real simple. We'll keep it short, and I'll let I'll let Matt have the the last word on this if he wants to. This comes down to what we talked about a few weeks ago, or actually I said now a couple months ago, when the county of commission, I'm sorry, the Miami-Dade County Commission, I can't talk today, Miami-Dade County Commission puts <laughs> together their final plan to agree to sell the plot of land to uh, Beckham United. We talked at that time that all of a sudden we have residents of Spring Garden talking about Overtown as if they live in Overtown. They don't live in Overtown. You live in Spring Garden. Yes, you might share a zip code with Overtown, but you don't share anything else with the residents of that community but a zip code. Don't give me the bullshit that you care about Overtown. Don't give me the bullshit that you sit here and say to each other, oh, we're really worried about the community, this and that. The only thing that you're worried about is that your little haven of, you know what, your little, you know, refuge of, of million dollar homes in the urban core of Miami and I was going to say something much more inflammatory and I caught myself so I didn't do that because I want this podcast to go on for many more years uh, (laughs) is now at the risk of being noticed yes there will be more cars traveling up and down the streets of that area quite possibly yes there's going to be a lot more people around the neighborhood or in the neighboring areas but no you don't care about Overtown. You've never cared about Overtown. And the reason why you've never cared about Overtown is because you live in Spring Garden. You haven't spent any money in Overtown. or Otherwise, Overtown would be a much better community than it currently sits right now. You haven't done it. So now, because a sports team is willing to come in and revitalize the area, now you're saying, oh, wait, we, we can do that. No, you can't. You're full of shit. <laughs> you were never going to do it to begin with. And uh, Mr. Matheson, in this case, Bruce Matheson, right, Bruce? Yeah. Uh, you know, he only cares about this situation because he has a piece of real estate not too far uh, from the edge of the border of Spring Garden inside its boundaries, and he's going to be somebody who's affected. So here you have this, you know, is he a billionaire, Matt? Billionaire? Would that be fair? Um, or multi, I would presume that the, the, the estate has divided up into enough uh, members of the family that I don't know if it's a B but he he's very well off. He, he's very wealthy. Let's put it this this, this yes. dude shits dollar bills, right? So <laughs> this guy this is the like also the very verbally aggressive uh, Magic City yeah. Soccer episode. <laughs> but th- this dude poops money, right? So the way I'm looking at it is the only reason that he really cares about this is because he doesn't want his real estate to be quote unquote negatively affected. He doesn't want that on his outskirts. And it seems like the residents of Spring Barden have come together and you know open the bad signal for Bruce Matheson to try to, you know, stop this project and, and a project that won't be stopped. This is, you know, one those one of those like last attempts. I'm gonna straw man this in, in order to hope that, you know, the Miami Dade uh lower courts will file an injunction against it, at which point Miami Beckham United will sue, it'll go to the appellate courts, the appellate courts will overrule the lower courts, and at that point if Matheson really wants to be a pain in the butt, he can take it to the Florida Supreme Court, which at that point by that point, forget it. MLS and Miami will be dead, um, but and it'll still come out in Miami Beckham United's favor if they even wish to take it that far. Matt, anything else you want? Anything else you want to add on this front? Yeah, I, just really quick. I promise. I, I, I just, <laughs> I it's it's hard to believe we're at a point where I feel bad for David Beckham. I feel bad for uh, Marcelo Clara and, and and Simon Fuller that that. 
every single time they're trying to get this thing done, they're just running into all. It's you don't know what the next hurdle is going to be. You can't well foresee it. It's it's the it's the cops versus the fire departments of the county versus the city. It's the city commission, the county commission. It's this now. It's really frustrating. And and again. We've had conversations before about our opinions on MLS, and we know that there are people in the Day Brigade who have very diverse opinions about MLS and David Beckham. Um, but, man, it's really fr- – I just want an answer. Just get it done or not. Let's figure out where we stand so we can move forward because this is just – it's exhausting. I- I'm tired of talking about legal challenges to a team that it hasn't even put a shovel in the dirt for the stadium that they're going to play in. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's it, it's exhausting. It, it, it's incredible, and that's why we're done with the subject. Uh, if you want to reach out to us with your thoughts and opinions on the subject, again, send us a message on Twitter. Let us know how you feel. We'll, we might go ahead and dive into that a little bit more in the next episode. Uh, moving on, let's talk a little bit about the two teams that uh, had spectacular regular seasons and just were not able to make a lot of more noise uh, in the playoffs. FC Miami City reaches the Southern Conference Championship of the PDL only to lose in penalties. And the women of FC Surge have a strong regular season as well, um, only to bow out, if I'm not mistaken, in the playoffs. Yeah, it was a bit of a bloody Saturday because we had three local teams knocked out of their respective playoff competitions on the same night, if I recall correctly. Yes. Uh, FC Miami City, Miami Fusion, and FC yeah, Surge. Yeah, Miami Fusion as well, that's right. Yes, um, so it was, it was, it was unfortunate because you you wanted to see those teams advance, and especially, um, you know, Miami Fusion with the MPSL playoffs. If they had gotten out of that that region, and they had a pretty favorable position where a couple teams had to play before they got to them, uh, then you're getting into a national um, playoff uh, mm-hmm. that actually Miami United had been involved with uh, a couple of years back, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty well a wipeout for local soccer. Uh, really leaving Miami FC as the last team standing. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so the MPL season is done. Shout out to Miami United, Miami Fusion, basically finishing top of the table. Um, you know, in the MPSL, um, my FC Miami City, if I'm not mistaken, they finished second in the PDL table. Again, runners up in the Southern Conference earned themselves a spot in the U.S. Open Cup, so congratulations to them. They will be playing in the first round of the U.S. Open Cup next season if they wish to uh, cash in their bid for that. And the FC Surge, again, a lot of these ladies will be going on to play Division One soccer, uh, Division Two soccer uh, coming up here in just a few months with their club teams and their university. So, uh, you know, they had, a good, they had a good run this season. You know, they finished second in their table, 19 points, only short to Tampa Bay United, which actually has an affiliation with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So, you know, they're propped up pretty well. So congratulations to them on their season as well. Uh, moving on quickly. Um, listen, we've got a game on Saturday. We've got to go to New York and play the Cosmos. So, Matt, yes, you indeedy. Know, the Cosmos signed Juan Arango. They have Lucky. They have a couple other. Um, they have Kobe, the Israeli uh, international that is now signed with them as well. What are your thoughts on this game? Um, I got to admit, there's something about winning the spring season that really takes a lot of the pressure off. <laughs> that, you know, you just, it's like, yeah, we play in the Cosmos and we're opening up the fall season and it's like, yeah, and, and right now we're 10 points atop the combined table going into the fall. The Cosmos were 12 points ahead of them. Um, you know, it's 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 a bit difficult to, like, get really riled up. And I'm sure once we get the games back going, and especially 
with the U.S. Open Cup still alive, um, that's where all my attention has been focused, you know? I'm sure you can relate. Um, that, yeah, Miami FC is going to go in there Saturday. They're going to play a game. The Cosmos are certainly going to give everything they have um, because it's a good opportunity to make up three points and try to catch up on that combined table and, and get a good foothold into the fall season. Um, but, yeah, it just lacks a little bit of the urgency um, that maybe we certainly had at the beginning of the spring season. Yeah, I think this game's going to be very telling with regards to how Nesta decides to deploy his team. Most of the guys have been off for two weeks. Actually, all the guys have been off for two weeks for the most part, uh, returning to training earlier on this week uh, to you know gear up for this New York Cosmos match. Again, the season's opening in Brooklyn at MCU Park. It's Chicken Wing Night, Matt. It's Chicken Wing Night at MCU Park in Coney Island. Um, and it's going to be really, really important to see which 11 Miami FC puts out because guess what? On Wednesday, you've got to take on FC Cincinnati and finally figure out who's going to advance in that quarterfinal tilt. If Miami FC plays their full starting 11 and this game gets out of hand either early, either way, I think you would see some of the more key players, some of the guys that you want to save their legs just in case, um, get subbed off early, uh, probably 45 minute stretches in that case. Or, you know what, if Nesta says, listen, we've got a 10 point lead, which I don't think he's going to do. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. Uh, we've got a 10 point lead. We've got a 12 point lead on the Cosmos here uh, going into the combined. Let's get Martinez some minutes. Let's get Johnny Steele some minutes. Let's get Michelle some minutes. Um, then yes, I, I think the Cosmos could win this game 2-0 very easily. Otherwise, if the starting 11 comes out, uh, don't be surprised to see a 2-1 Miami win. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, again, like you said, we're, I will feel a lot more comfortable predicting this game uh, once we see the starting 11 rolled out and and, and kind of, <laughs> it seems like a, the biggest cop out of all time, but once we see about 10, 15 minutes of play, um, I would feel a lot better about predicting yeah, this right? game. Um, yeah, I think Miami FC are clearly the best team in the league, and I don't think the addition of Arango or really any other addition changes that um but they have their eyes on a bigger prize right now and it's right there for the taking um you know a spot in the semifinal is right in front of their faces and so i i wouldn't even blame them if they were distracted i wouldn't even blame uh alessandro nesta if he kind of put out a, a quote-unquote weaker squad just to get them some run now you do have the factor of the time off uh, which makes you wonder, do you want to get those guys ramped back up and in quote unquote in shape for Cincinnati? So there are a lot of there are a lot of uncertainties. I I, I I'm gonna go I'm I'm again, like I said, cop out, draw, one one. Okay, no, hey, listen, that's a favorable line because at least that way you know that Miami FC will definitely uh, walk away with some points in New York City, which is always extremely important. Uh, looking at that match, give me one small second here. This is when I need to have my my materials up and running prior to me, you know, going ahead and, and, and pandering about this game. And what I'm trying to get open are the betting lines, but I noticed that Bovada still doesn't have it, and guess what? Skybet doesn't have it either. So no betting lines open yet for this game. More than likely, the Cosmos could possibly open as a small favorite. Wouldn't be surprised, especially with them being the home team. As Matt alluded to previously, we are playing FC Cincinnati for a chance at the semifinals to host the semifinals, more importantly, against the New York Red Bulls. Uh, we've talked about Cincinnati in the past. Just to recap very quickly, they're a team that played a lot of games in a small stretch of time. They had some injuries, and listen, they got the best they got the best of everything they could have asked for, and then some. Why? They got a they got out of Miami without a loss. They were able to rest and rehab some of their players. These guys are going to be coming in with, you know, 
really a lot of rest, and they got the best date they could have asked for. They got a date that they didn't have to move any fixtures for. They'll come to Miami on the 2nd of August and play that corner final tilt. Uh, FC Cincinnati is a team that likes to defend premierly, um, you know, try to park the bus, maybe have, you know, one guy applying pressure. Normally, it's Dijby Fall. Um, you know, and, and hope that Mitch Hildebrand stands on his head to secure a victory because that's exactly what they mm-hmm. did to the Chicago Fire. With regards to that game, though, it's going to come down to where can Miami find the avenues to get through the defense and through the midfield and, you know, get open chances or one-on-one chances with Mitch Hildebrand. If Miami FC can do that, and I and I think both of us, I can say for both of us that we expect Miami FC to have the full starting eleven. Uh, you know, the, the normal guys out there, uh, Miami should easily win this game 2-0. Yeah, I think you would have to favor Miami. Um, again, assuming the the time off doesn't impact them and that it helps them, um, I, I think they've got a really good shot to make it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup. Um, and host, right? Yeah, it would be hosting. You would be hosting. Yes, hosting. You, if you can sneak by FC Cincinnati you would be hosting the New York Red Bulls. Now, Matt, here is where the problems lie. Should you get past Cincinnati, you're going to be playing five games in 14 days. Because after a Cincinnati game, if you were to beat them, you have to play North Carolina FC at home. Then you would have to play the Red Bulls on August 9th at home, and then you would play uh, in the 11th, August 12th at home. So you have five games in 14 days. That's a lot for any team in any league, let alone the NASL here. So we'll cross that bridge once we get there. So that's why I say that, you know, Cincinnati got the as much as they could have asked for and more because even if Miami beat Cincinnati, holy hell, they're in a bad spot with regards to scheduling uh, games here for the, for really the foreseeable future. I have to tell you, though, if, if, if we get past Cincinnati, a number one focus has to go on the Open Cup at that point. I mean, I'm because go ahead. it's – You've already got the spring season. You've already got your playoff ticket punched. You're going to be at least hosting a, a semi-final, uh, an NASL semifinal game. You're 10 points clear at the top of the table. You've shown that you can basically play with and beat anyone in the league. You can afford to throw two or three games. You you have you can literally say you could lay down and take forfeits if you wanted on three games and still have a one-point lead at the top of the table. Obviously, you wouldn't want to do that, but, you know, you send out a B team and play for a draw, try to get three points there, and and that's it. And even if you lose, this is such a unique opportunity that Miami FC has that they're going to be, if they beat Cincinnati, they would be hosting not only an MLS team, but the New York Red Bulls, a, a legacy team in the MLS, a New York team in the MLS, you know, you've you've talked before about attracting sellouts and attracting big numbers. That will get huge, huge numbers. Then you have the possibility of hosting an Open Cup final. It's a 50-50 proposition. I mean, it's there's too much on the line. And I, I think ownership knows that, and I think the front office realizes that, that you could potentially be looking at a sellout, a legitimate sellout of Ricardo Silva. Twice. And... And, and twice, and twice, and a trophy, and not just the NASL spring season, and not just the Soccer Bowl trophy, but the national championship of the United States, a berth <laughs> in the CONCACAF Champions League. Like, all this stuff is on the table That's it's it's hard, and it, it's, it's certainly not a 100% proposition, it's not a 50% proposition, but if you beat Cincinnati, you're one of four teams that could win it. It's that simple. 
And we've seen, you know, again, New York would certainly be going in with a strong squad. But Orlando had a pretty strong squad when they played, and and Miami handled them. And I think I think there is a, you know, you're when you go kind of dive into the soccer internet, the social media, <laughs> there is a great amount of respect that Miami FC has earned from people around, you know, the the people in the know about how this team plays. Uh, it, it's legitimate, you know. Cincinnati is obviously earning the kind of the underdog story, and they're like, oh, what a great story. But I think people realize that this Miami FC squad is the real deal. It is the strongest non-first division team in America by a good amount. By a good amount. And you have people putting forth the argument, could Miami FC hang in MLS? You know, like, could they could they compete on a regular basis at that level? I think that's maybe punching a bit too high, but I certainly think they could win two more games against MLS. It's a possibility, and it's it's realistic. This isn't just a team that got on a heater against lower competition. It is real, it is tangible, and it's right in front of their faces. And if this team doesn't take that opportunity, you do not know when that kind of opportunity will come around again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you have your tickets to the previously scheduled match, uh, they are valid for entry on this match. Just bring the same ticket stub, and you will get into the game uh, on August 2nd at Ricardo Silva Stadium. Um, we'll go ahead and leave a lot of the New York Red Bull discussion uh, for next week if we do get, go ahead and actually get past FC Cincinnati. Because, because guess what, man? That'll be a fun, fun show uh, yeah. for us to go ahead and record and, and get your thoughts and segments on. Um so we've had two ICC games, international championship, uh, international championship, international champions cup matches here in mm-hmm. 2017 in Miami. After a brief spell with the Sun Life Stadium or Hard Rock Stadium renovations, um, PSG versus Juventus. You and I were very lucky to be able to attend this game last night on the 26th of July, and we were treated to a, really a hell of a game, pretty world class game, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, it was it was really. A, a lovely experience from the time I pulled up. I got to the stadium probably about six thirty, six forty-five. Oh, so did you dodge the um, traffic? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, but it was the getting into the stadium was actually a breeze. But the traffic on like the eight twenty-six and the you know that was not fun. But I wanted to get there early to kind of get a feel out. I literally did a lap around the stadium beforehand, and there was a nice like kind of um, like a fan zone, I guess, that had music and, and things like that. Um, I couldn't get over the fact that the stadium itself, and Omar and I talked about this last night, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people, but bringing non-soccer into it for a second, I'm a fan of the University of Miami's football team, so is Omar, and uh, the UM football team moved to that stadium in 2008, and basically I cursed that stadium from the day the announcement was made, I think it was August 24, 2007, I was covering the, the press conference when it was announced, and I hated it, it was awful. I, I Leaving the Orange Bowl, just the worst, and going to the stadium that I thought, for lack of a better word, sucked. It was terrible. And it was terrible. And for years, it was terrible. And last year, the first game last year, it was like I had walked into a new building. They had completed the renovations of the stadium body itself, and it was like a whole new place. And this offseason, they did renovations on the club level, and they did renovations on the exterior, the gates. Um, and it looks out of this world. It is a beautiful facility. And again, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not a Dolphins fan. I actually ran into uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross as he was walking into the stadium last night and kind of gave him a thumbs up and said, hey, you know, the place looks good, boss. Um, but <laughs> it, it looks, that's literally what I did. Um, 
but it looks great. It's such it's a really great venue, and it's it, considering what a freaking dump it was for years. It is kind. It's jarring. I'm kind of proud of it, and it's weird. It's like your friend who's like undergone this this makeover, and now they look gorgeous and look fantastic. It's like, well, good for them. Who thought it was possible? But but it it worked out. But yeah, so I I wanted to take a moment to comment on that because that stadium is lovely. Yes, it, it's now it has become. I think at one point it was a really good baseball stadium where you could see the game from any angle, and then it became kind of like this. Uh, well, it's a football stadium now, but we don't really. I don't know. It's not really the best football stadium in the world, and now it's really become almost like a premier soccer stadium. Like you, there the sight lines are fantastic. You can see just about from every angle. I think the biggest thing that it has going against it is that the proximity of fans to the pitch isn't as great as you would like to see. Uh, the fans don't sit right on the pitch. Why? Because there's field club seats that go for you know and oodles and oodles of money that people don't just readily have available um so yeah it's like as you mentioned yesterday it has become a, a bit more of a soccer stadium and, and it is beautiful and for those of you who are not able to go hopefully the u.s men's national team will descend upon hard rock stadium soon uh in order to you know maybe ramp it up for the world cup if we get there knock on wood or some other friendlies down the road uh, to get another game down here in South Florida would be very nice to see that stadium packed for the USA. Uh, maybe you'll see a couple other friendlies come into town. I wouldn't be surprised, but the biggest friendly that will ever come into town is happening Saturday, and it's Real Madrid and Barcelona. And I think for me, the biggest thing that has going that it has going forward is not the fact that you know, yes, Ronaldo's not going to play, and, and yes, you know, possibly Neymar, Messi, and Suarez will only get a half if they even do dress. Um, I think the biggest thing is you don't see a situation where you may have close to 50-50 Barcelona and Madrid fans in the stadium at the same time. Because when you play these games yeah. in Spain, you know, the opposing team probably gets maybe one, two sections, maybe a third if they're lucky. You're getting a, like you're, you're probably going to have a 50-50 crowd here, or you're going to have a 60-40, but it won't be much more than that. So to see that atmosphere, man, what I would give just to be uh, a fly in the wall. Listen, I wouldn't give $700 to go to the game, but I wish <laughs> I could just see that atmosphere and see what that's going to be like because it's going to be nuts and it's going to be loud. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I was listening to uh, the Miami Herald had kind of a, a Facebook Live event last night with uh, Michelle Kaufman and Greg Cody and uh, as they were covering the game. And um, they were talking about kind of the distribution of tickets and 70% of the people who purchase tickets for this game purchase them from outside the state of Florida. Now that obviously doesn't include like, uh, you know, resale markets on StubHub or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, there are going to be a lot of people. It's not just going to be people from Miami-Dade County checking out, oh, there's an inter there's an international friendly going. It's going to be a lot of Barcelona and Real fans flying into Miami for vacation and then seeing their team play in this friendly that won't be so friendly it could be really really interesting in the stands saturday night in terms like you said basically the only way you would ever get this kind of setup um would be if they met in the champions league final bingo that that's the only possibility and if that was the case the world would collapse upon itself <laughs> um but yeah the only time these teams have met before outside of spain it was a friendly in venezuela in the 1960s uh it is not common um this is a, a, a you know again I'm, I'm quoting from Michelle Kaufman here basically through her reporting that the teams they were approached by Stephen Ross the owner of the Dolphins and, and um, basically who who also kind of oversees this International Champions Cup and basically said if the only way they would do this game is if it was in Miami 
because of what Miami represents to their players, their coaches, also the opportunity to kind of reach out to uh, to Latin America. Uh, it's a match made in heaven, and, and the hope is that everything goes off beautifully Saturday night, and this could be a real launching point for Miami being host to all kinds of international friendlies. And, you know, uh, in the past, uh, the, I know the Premier League at least has talked about the 39th step. And the 39th step is the idea of playing one league game a year, each team outside of Great Ooh, Britain. so down. And, and, you know, that idea was brought up, and then I, that idea was dismissed by people who said it's absurd. But, I mean, you're seeing it from American sports where you have teams taking games outside of the borders of the country they're in. The NFL has done this for more than a decade. Major League Baseball has done this for a long time. The National Basketball Association wants to take games to London, wants to take games to China. It's it's an American trend, but it makes sense if you're looking to branch out into other parts of the world. And as we talked about in terms of sports and business, you need growth. You need you, you want growth. You don't want to be stagnant. And there is absolutely no reason to think that this couldn't be a kind of recurring trend between these two teams, that other big, you know, uh, rivalries take place here. I mean, we've already had, as Omar and I both well know, what I think is the greatest rivalry in in (laughs) club football, Manchester United-Liverpool. I know a lot of people down here will disagree with me, but that's already come to Miami, uh, you know, Hard Rock Stadium, or I think it was Sun Life at the time. It may have even been Dolphin Stadium at the time. Uh, That's a possibility. Um, But yeah, that's already been here. I mean, Miami is getting the last five years has gotten a lot of really juicy international. I mean, PSG Juventus is a beautiful matchup between team, you know, a team that was in the Champions League final and a team that is always in the Champions League quarterfinals, <laughs> always in the quarterfinals, right. and really doing everything they can to take the next step. I mean, that's a hell of a matchup, and it is the undercard. It's the appetizer. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it goes to show. Um, Miami is definitely becoming a hotbed for soccer, you know, not only on a local level, but also on an international level as well. So it'd be really nice to see if, you know, if UEFA ever does decide to put the game outside of Europe, you know, the Champions League final, Miami could very, very well be a possibility at this point. And it, and it might be a very welcome possibility depending on, you know, the teams that reach the final in that year. That said, for those of you who don't want to shell out the money. There is a Casa Clásico. This is a huge fan fest that will be taking place at Bayfront Park all day tomorrow, Friday, or today if you're listening. Uh, I think it's running from about 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Please go out to Bayfront Park. There's going to be giveaways. There's going to be a bunch of uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona legends, ESPN personalities, left and right. Go out there, grab a Miami FC scarf, grab a Miami FC hat, take that with you, take a magnet with you, leave it somewhere, put a sticker somewhere for Miami FC, and, and let's have a real strong Miami FC uh, or Miami soccer contingent. If you got FC Miami City gear, wear that. If you have Miami Fusion stuff, wear that. If you have Miami United stuff, wear that. You know, just let's make it a strong local soccer contingent. You know, everybody knows that there's going to be a bunch of Madrid in Barcelona jerseys in attendance. So if you have a Neymar jersey or a Messi jersey that you're going to wear, listen, those guys won't be there anyway. Leave those kids at home. Wear your Miami-centric stuff. Let's grow the game together from the grassroots level, um, and let's do our best to you know provide a little bit of extra marketing for the team. Uh, and you know I'm sure they're going to be out there, especially with their tents and their setup. So go ahead and visit the team and make sure that you go ahead and, and drop some nice words and then tell them how good we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, I plan on being there tomorrow, um, sometime after twelve o'clock, um, to to 
to kind of check out the goings on. Um, I will definitely be wearing at least something Miami FC a hat, scarf. Might throw the jersey on. Who knows? Let's see how I feel when I wake up tomorrow. But it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a really unique opportunity. They are blowing this thing out. Um, yeah. Totally blowing this thing out. And um, it's good for the city. I mean, if you turn on ESPN in the next couple of days, odds are you're going to see a live shot from Bayfront Park Bingo. or from Hard Rock Stadium or from somewhere around town because we are quite literally the epicenter of the soccer world for the, this week and this weekend. Uh, and it's very exciting. So, um, yeah, definitely take advantage of this. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that one of the, the – former Barcelona legends is uh, Luis Garcia. He might be hopefully making an appearance. I think he lives in Miami, so hopefully he shows up tomorrow. The, the <laughs> former Liverpool man who scored the ghost goal against Chelsea. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a, if you're a soccer fan at all, go. It's it's a, it's. I don't want to say once in a lifetime because hopefully more big events like this come, but it's a really unique opportunity. It's an opportunity that no other city has had yeah. literally on this planet outside of Spain. Um, and so you know bathe in it enjoy it soak it in um and yeah go out there throw on a miami fc hat or a shirt or something you know represent the local club yep. um so yeah i think i think we've killed our rundown omar we yeah, actually prepared before this show we did pretty good we did pretty good minus um, the stutterings and and the verbal vomits from time to time i think we did pretty good and also my rant uh, about <laughs> bruce madison <laughs> oh so, boy let, let's stick a fork in this one huh yeah let's let's call it a night all right, let's hit the road. Omar, thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. AC Milan, how you couldn't score a second goal today and make me some money. I don't understand. You beat Bayern 4-0. How the hell did you not score more than one goal today? I don't understand. As a reminder, one eight 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 admit it. It's the, the first step in admitting you have a problem. Go fly. Um, <laughs> it's not a problem if you're making money. Am I right, my brother? Not a problem if you're winning bets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's been Omar. I've been Matthew Bunch. Uh, visit magiccity.soccer. I probably should have mentioned this at the front because I'm trying to get some attention there. Nice. I'm bad at business. Um, magiccity.soccer or magiccitysoccer.co, either one will work. Uh, to check out some of our written work, Omar is working on a really lovely kind of spring season review, kind of uh, not position by position, but kind of part of the field, part of the field, you know, defenders, midfield, attack, where a part one went up to uh, yesterday. You're probably listening on the 28th. Uh, part two about the midfield will be going up today. And then on Saturday before the Cosmos game, uh, our attack gets uh, gets the fine-tooth comb from Omar Mubayed. Um, check it out. There's some cool, cool stuff going on. All right. He's been Omar. I've been Matthew. This has been Magic City Soccer. Until next time, go Miami FC and go Miami Soccer. <laughs>